0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Good morning. Welcome to church. I'm Sam. If we haven't met, can't wait to share with you what uh, God's got for us this morning. Certainly up at uh, Taramurra, we've had a great morning working through this. And so uh, let me pray for us as we get ready. Father, I would ask that you would speak to us now through uh, what I'm about to say and that, Lord, this act in itself would be the truth that you are going to reveal to us, Father, this morning through this message. Work amongst us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we've been asking you the question, "What is your looking beneath the looking?" Part of the reason we're asking that question is this is the time of year where uh, you know we're doing the New Year's resolutions, we're thinking about our goals and objectives, we're prioritising the the year, and we've uh, recognised that normally at this time of year, when there's these resolutions, there's this franticness, right? This freneticness about us that uh, is is constantly running in all sorts of directions, all sorts of resolutions, in order to find ourselves fully satisfied. And so there is a searching, there's a looking, a looking for things that we want to do this year, and then there's the looking beneath the looking. Last week, we talked about the search for happiness, for contentment. That we're constantly looking for things to satisfy us, and we find that they come up short. And, and this morning, it's a similar theme as we look at the search for transcendence, or otherworldliness is a, an everyday way to put it. And proof that this is just part of who we are as human beings is... Really, uh, in the forms of modern day worship. I'll go to modern day worship, not in the church, but in nightclubs. Uh, I've, I've got some lyrics here of uh, some of the top hits from the nightclubs at the moment from Frau Frau. You all know Frau Frau, right? A few Frau Frau fans down here, they're looking forward to this. Frau Frau says, Up where the mountains meet the heavens above, out where the lightning splits the sea, I would swear that there's someone somewhere watching me. Another worship song from Calvin Harris. He was the boyfriend of Taylor Swift, if you didn't know that at one point in time. So he must know something. He said, "So I've put my faith in something unknown. I've been living on such sweet nothing, but I'm trying to hope with nothing to hold. I'm living on such sweet nothing." And look, uh, for you older members too, I did my research for you as well this morning, and so uh, I've got some lyrics too from uh, a, a great poet of the '80s called Steve Winwood. And uh, he said, worlds are turning and we're just hanging on, facing our fear and standing out there alone. A yearning, and it's real to me, there must be someone who's feeling for me. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Where's that higher love I keep thinking of? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Why do do non-Christian artists write like this? It's interesting isn't it why why such constantly heavenly lyrics leaking from songs love and heavens mountain meets, meets the sea searching all of this transcendent otherworldly language have you noticed that in our modern day songs certainly from those that aren't people of the faith our our lyrics seem to be dripping with transcendent language and i feel the reason is this that there seems to be a thirst in the human heart for transcendence that cannot be denied uh, I think of some other examples outside of just uh, songs. But uh, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed uh, particularly non-religious people, even in times of crisis, what's their first response? They talk about praying. You know, you, you see Sam and Koshi. We have something like the bushfire crisis. And suddenly you notice how the language gets transcendent. Oh, they sign off the interview. We, we hope something's happening there. We're praying for rain. And hey, what, what a miracle we've seen this week in praying for rain as a side note, all glory to God. But have you noticed that our, our language in the, in the face of, of crisis and really in the face of understanding our humanity, our language becomes quite transcendent, whether you're a religious or not a religious person, right? Um, you see this in a way that, um, not just prayer, but have you noticed, and you might have family, friends like this, uh, that we seem to be people that like to collect the sacred, That shell that we collected with a loved one that reminds us of them so much. That photo of a loved one that reminds them so much. Uh, The language of otherworldliness that happens when we lose a loved one. I feel like they're speaking to me. I feel like they were here. You ever felt this? Ever heard this from friends? There's this insatiable thirst for transcendence, for otherworldliness, that applies whether you are religious or not. Which is just as well because the message is just not for Christians this morning. I think everything uh, that we see from this psalm affirms the fact that just in your humanity, regardless of what you believe religiously, there is a deep thirst within you and I for otherworldliness. We're constantly searching for that. It's why it leaks in the lyrics. And so I realized I speak to two types of people this morning. There's a person on one, on one side who is searching. You are still searching. You haven't found yet. You haven't found God. Uh, you are looking. It's probably part of the reason why you're here in a church this morning. And we're glad that you're here. You're in the right space. Um, but more dangerously, I speak to uh, those of us that are not searching. We're the ones that think we found and yet we're still searching. And that's why I say tongue-in-cheek. Uh, why that is a bit dangerous is because uh, a lot of Christians, we're the ones that think we've found uh, we've found the transcendent. And yes, have, have you noticed, and I'm being tongue-in-cheek, have you noticed how Christians can often be the most, uh, the least transcendent people that you've met in your life? <laughs> we're grouchy, we're grumpy, we're achy, we're moany, we're gossipy. Uh, what's with that? We're obviously searching as well. And what is going on with these songs? What is going on with these prayers that we hear? Really, here's what, what the search for transcendence is. Really, within us, the search for transcendence is an, is an insatiable appetite for the infinite. The search for transcendence is an, an appetite for intimacy with the infinite infinite. You see this in all the lyrics. It's, it's There's something out there searching for me. And that's the whole point of this psalm. Look at verse one of the psalm here. My God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek for you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You know what this is saying? Isn't, isn't this exactly what Winwood was singing about? <laughs> a yearning, and it's real to me, there must be someone who's feeling for me. David, King David, that's who wrote the psalm. In the midst of his crisis, he's got his son trying to hunt him down and he's hiding out in the desert. And David's saying, surely there's someone who's looking after me. There's this is the stuff that the lyricists write about. It's the stuff that C.S. Lewis says. That He says, if, if I find in myself desires that in this world I could never fully satisfy, then I can only conclude I'm not meant for here." This yearning, this yearning for otherworldliness, something around us. And so here the psalmist is saying there's this, this appetite for intimacy with the infinite that, that really at a soul level we, ra- we react to a lack of transcendence the way that the body reacts to a lack of water. Have you ever been without water for a long period of time? Most of us thankfully haven't. Uh, But you've seen what happens or you sense what happens if you're away from water for a little bit. Like you go stir crazy psychologically and physiologically, right? I know this for a fact. I watch Bear Grylls. I watch the survival shows. I watch National Geographic. You you go so soul crazy for water. You do all sorts of ridiculous things. You've seen Bear Grylls do that. He drinks all sorts of ridiculous stuff. I'm not going to go there. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. You eat the most disgusting bugs just at the thought that your body could absorb a little bit of moisture, right? And so the the, the psalmist is is saying the same sort of thing. I'm physiologically and I'm psychologically crying out for this other worldliness. And and here's why I think we do. I think it's because uh, either consciously or certainly subconsciously, at some point in our lives, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but at some point in our lives, we come to this realisation, we come to sense that I matter more than just matter. That we have a soul, another dimension to us. My little five-year-old said to me the other month, as we're talking through these big things, she said, Daddy, am I all there is? Mm-hmm. Am I, am I all? Do, I, do I matter more than matter? Well, it's like the, witnessing that revelation for the first time that she understood that she had a soul. I think there comes a point in our, our lives where we sense that, that the soul, the part of me that senses, I know that I matter more than matter. When we come to realize that we've got a soul, that we're not just matter, then we also come to realize that as human beings, we realize that we're actually sp- what I call spiritually amphibious. You guys know what an amphibian is, <laughs> right? Frogs. And an and amphibian can't spend all of their time on land and an amphibian can't spend all of their time in water right if they're always on land they die and if they're always in water and die so they're constantly going backwards and forwards and isn't this the dynamic that you and i feel we're spiritually amphibious and we live in a world that tells us that matter is all that should matter but i think what starts to happen is whether you are religious or not we we realize we can't live like that anymore my uber driver certainly can't live like that. The Uber driver that I had this week, I was in one of those trips where you know you're going to be in an Uber for about 45 minutes and then the topic of religion comes up at about the three-minute mark of the 45-minute ride. And that's, that's the point where um, I hold my breath and whatever I do, I don't tell him what I, does, what, what, what I do as, as a living. You know, he said, what do you do? I said, I, I run a conference centre in St. Leonard's. Um, <laughs> See, I'm wildly evangelistic, aren't I? <laughs> it's my own safety and sanity in a 45-minute Uber rider, uh, Uber drive. <laughs> anyway, what's interesting, and he probably represents a lot of your friends and family, he, uh, people that you've seen in your life, where, where it, it's this weird dichotomy when it comes to transcendence. Because on one hand, he spent about 25 minutes of that ride doting over his grandkids and telling me how amazing his grandkids and he's a real soul-of-the-earth Aussie sort of bloke and he just loved them and he's talking about his grandkids and how they're sweet and how he just wants to smush them and all the sweet things that they do. And then, and then in the same breath when we're talking about religion, he says, oh, when it comes to religion, oh, religion's just a load of junk. I just don't deal with that. Now, here's, here's the problem with this logic, right? I think this this is the challenge for all of us is that is that on one hand, a person like that wants all the sweetness of the love, wants to revel in all the beauty, wants to revel in all of the, the wonderful things, but if, if they're really real about their logical position or what they're saying, that I'm not into this religious junk, in other words, I'm not into the transcendent, there is nothing more than this world, they can't possibly live with the fact that their gorgeous little granddaughter is just a bunch of atoms that have managed to be held together by the slightest little piece of gravity. See the challenge? Now, what happens for us in the search for transcendence is intellectually, for a while, we can live with that, but at the practical level, we, we can't handle that. And so, here's what happens we begin to develop an appetite. And uh, we sense that something is missing because an appetite, by definition, is a sense of absence if you 've got an appetite for food, if you 're hungry you you sense the absence of food in your life, and so really the the first step in finding because that 's really the big question that we want to know this morning isn 't it okay if i 'm searching for transcendence, how do I find God? How do I connect with the transcendent? The first way that you know the first way that you know you 're connecting with the transcendent is that you have a, you have an appetite for something else you you sense an absence of something in your life, you be, you begin to to start searching, and that's that's what the psalmist was saying. He's saying that, that my soul cries out for you earnestly. I seek you. I thirst. But I think most people's most people's searching for God is sort of like the way that a teenager stands in front of uh, a pantry after school when they come in. <laughs> right, parents? <laughs> like, what are you doing? I'm hungry. Oh. <laughs> What do you want to eat? I don't know. I mean, notice how they can sort of stand there for about 10 minutes. I think, I think my, my, most people know that they have an appetite. They just don't know what they're looking for, right? And on one hand, that's a sign of spiritual health. You've got to hear this, by the way, the searching, because there are people who come to church and they think, I'm a, I'm, I'm a bad Christian or they've fallen away from the church or I can't be a Christian because I'm searching. And, and if there is anything that you get from this message this morning, I want you to hear this. Let me think of it the other way. Um, have, you, have you ever been sick with a tummy bug, with a vomit bug, with gastro? Uh, what do you like when you're around food? <laughs> you, you can't stand the sight of it. It makes you sick. The way that you know that you're sick when we've got gastro is we know the very thing that will make us strong and well makes us sick. And wouldn't you agree that isn't that, isn't that the average person's fundamental reaction to God in the first instance? That the very thing that can satisfy the thing that they are searching for makes them sick. I don't want to deal with religion and all that sort of junk. They, they react to it. They push it away. So on the negative side, the, the desire to not have any appetite for things that are religious, that, that's what real spiritual lostness looks like, which leads me to the encouragement. If you're the sort of person here this morning that goes, I'm, I, I'm not gonna, I, I can't do this Christianity stuff, I'm not good at this, I'm not sure if I could do the church thing, I'm searching, I sense something more, I want you to hear this, and I say this to a lot of people when we pray up the back, who are searching. The sense of his absence is actually a sign of his presence. Can you hear that? The sense of his absence is actually a sign of his presence. If, if, you're, if you're feeling off-put that you're searching for God and you can't find him and you think that he's left you, why would you think like that? You wouldn't think like that if you've got spiritual gastro. spiritual gastro. That's what Paul talks about. Romans 1, you can look it up through 3. That should be titled in the pericope, spiritual gastro. What happens when people can't stand the sight of God? No one searches for God. No one seeks God, says Paul. But if you are hungry, if you are hungry, if you're searching and you haven't found yet, that doesn't mean that you're not on the right path. It means you're absolutely, absolutely on the right path. But, but, warning, warning, because there's, sounds like lost in space, doesn't it? Warning, warning, warning. Um, there's There's actually two types of searching, and that's a healthy searching. There's... There's, um, there's a much more sneaky form of searching, and it's what a lot of people do when they're searching. And, and it's a very different type of searching. And it's unhealthy searching. See, there's searching in, that, that's desperate to find, and then there's a searching that actually is searching but never really wants to find. And, and here's what this searching looks like. Like, you go to Dimex, and you go to the self-help section. And you look at all the sorts of books that are in there at the moment, you know, the astral projection and the New Ageism and and five principles in getting spiritually healthy, you know, in sub brackets without having to deal with Christianity. Like you look at all of those spiritual books, all of them are saying it's okay to have a transcendent di- dimension, it's wonderful, but but don't go there with things like Christianity. Don't. Go there. What what they're really saying, and I think they're trying to get away from the Uber problem, right? the overplumment is, is so they're saying okay let's acknowledge that there is a transcendent realm so that we can say that love is real and wisdom is real and beauty is beautiful and music is significant and there is another sense of otherworldliness in the world let's let's have all that but then we but we can do that without having to commit to anything <laughs> And do you notice in verse 1, look it up in your Bibles, haven't got it on the screen, Psalm 63, what does David say? He says, my God. Notice the difference between this type of spiritual searching and the dangerous spiritual searching. It's covenantal language. It's language of commitment. Like I don't, I don't talk about my with anyone else than my covenantal relationship, my wife, my kids, my God. And so there's actually... There's searching that wants to find, but there's actually a sort of searching that really doesn't want to find because they're fundamentally wanting to get away from being obedient uh, to an all-knowing, knowable God. That, by the way, is sin. (laughs) Not good deeds versus bad deeds. Another way to describe sin would be to deliberately go searching in such a way that you never want to find. Can you hear the difference? So... Uh, there, there, is, there is a spiritual hunger and appetite for transcendence. And we're, we're, we're searching. There's searching, searchers who want to desperately want to find, get themselves discouraged, but a sign of his absence, the feeling of his absence is a sign of his presence. Then there's a the spiritual searching that never really wants to find, that wants to get away from the problem that if there is no God, if there is no transcendence, then there is no meaning. And then, and then there's the rest of us. And I forgot about you all, but here we are. <laughs> There's the rest of us, grouchy, grumpy, grinding through the realities of life. The, 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 average, the average Christian, the ones that we say we're supposed to have found, and yet we look at our lives and go, where is this otherworldliness? Where is this transcendence? Or more wonderfully, you know, have you felt those moments when you just want this, that sweetness of God back in your life again? That, that moment where you just felt like he was so real to you that it's like the rest of the world just dissolved away. Now here's how we find that. And the principles apply right across the board, whether you are searching or whether you think you have already found. If, if you want to find God, and the psalmist shows a couple of ways that we can find God here, here's the first thing you need to know. First of all, we have to know that finding God, uh, God and knowing God is the end goal to everything in the first place. God is not a means to an end. David says, No, thy steadfast life is better than God. You will never know the transcendence of God. You'll never experience this intimacy with the infinite until you come to the point that David said, where he says, God, you in yourself are an end to all of my searching. His son's after him. His son's hunting him down. He says, God, I don't care. I just want to be with you. Which, ironically, you know what's happening when... What's happening with those people who are praying in times of crisis? What are they really saying? What are they really saying? What are Christians saying when we pray in times of crisis? I'll suggest it to you here. I'd suggest what we're really saying is, is God, I really want you in my life so you can come and assist me through this difficult season and I can eventually be comfortable again. Would that be a fair way to say it? God, if you, if you would just turn up and ease a bit of the pain that I'm going through, that would be much appreciated. This is the God of the universe. This is the God where the sun is like a little freckle, you know, where Pluto's wrapped around your pinky. Is that the sort of God that you ask into your life as your personal assistant? You know, it would just be great if you could just show up. And God says, I don't want to operate like that. All all that I've done throughout history, what you, you want me to you want me to be your secretary? I want you, and I want you to want me for me. In fact, when it comes to covenant, it, is that, isn't that always at the heart of covenant? I, I, it's like the Backstreet Boys said, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you did, as long as you love me, baby. Right. And so we've got to, got to understand that's, that's fundamentally what God is about and what this whole relationship is about. First of all, you can't seek God as a means to... Um, your own agenda in life if you want to truly experience the transcendence of God. Does that make sense? Then if you want to, and I'm going to give you a negative and then a positive just to balance it out here, balance diet of application this morning. There's The negative first, if you want to experience the transcendence of God, then you need to rid yourself of any God appetite suppressants. I heard in the medical world, apparently there are pills these days that you can take to suppress your appetite. I don't know what they do. I think they give you gas or something like that. They just bloat you and you don't want to eat anymore. um, (laughs) You just just take these things so you don't want to eat anymore. One of the most fundamental problems that you and I have in our Christian life is that we live in a society that is constantly feeding us these sorts of little pills that that suppress our appetite for God. (laughs) One thing you know as a parent is that you never ever give kids, what, sugar before dinner. Okay. Um, not just for the craziness, but, but what does sugar do? Sugar puts them on such a high that the kids think that they've eaten an entire meal in about two or three lollies and that they don't want to eat the very food that will give them strength. And One of the difficulty that we've got as Christians is that there are things that are constantly in our life that are pressing in on us and suppressing our appetite for God. There are things that we're constantly doting over that suppress our appetite for him. I'll, I'll give you some examples. Uh, they're, they're the things that we we think about when we get down on ourselves. They're, the, they're like the sole comfort food. For some of you, it's a person. For some of you, romantically, it's a person. For some of you, it's a career. For some of you, it's your bank account. For some of you, it's your dream house. For, uh, for, for some of you, it's just an overall sense of security. For some of you, it's a car. For some of you, it's a kid's fundamentally what these things can become, good things that become ultimate things, actually become a form of sinful adoration. And what happens is when we get so focused upon these things, what we don't realise they're doing is is that when it comes to the things of God, we're not hungry for him anymore. Does this make sense? I had a pastor friend who, who... who worked at the church around the corner and he said, you know what, in my 20 years of ministry, ministering on the Lower North Shore was the most difficult context of ministry I've ever been in. I think part of the reason why is that in our space of the world, and our place, there are so many things that suppress our appetite for God. We don't need God. Have you ever wondered how is it that people in Africa or Syria have this faith that in itself is transcendent and beautiful and out of this world? Why? Because there's nothing else around them to suppress their appetite for him. So you've got to find those things. You've got to do that work if you want to experience God, the transcendence of God. You've got to find those little life lollies. What are your life lollies that you're popping before dinner? Okay? We've all got them. Get off the sugar, kids. Get off the sugar. And here's how you get off the sugar. The psalmist says you've got to do bedtime. You've got to have a bedtime routine. And this is what I mean by this. Verse six: On my bed I remember you; I think of you through the watches of the night. Uh, you've you've got to have some time when you dwell upon Him. Uh, Archbishop William Temple uh, had a great quote that I think I've used before somewhere. But he said, um, "What you think about in your solitude is your real God." And the power of bedtime, whether it be at night or first thing in the morning, is have you ever noticed? In bedtime, that's often the time when all of the life lollies have been put away. <laughs> There's nothing distracting us. And so, your first question is, what do I think of? What do I think of the minute I wake up of the morning? Have you ever thought about that? What do you go to first thing in the morning? Like you straight onto the iPhone and the news or eBay or Instagram or whatever it might be. You've got to, that that context. Reserve that space for God. Meditate. We talked about it last week. It, he's, he's meditating, thinking upon God, and then he ultimately says that I'm fully satisfied. Meditation, like I said, is not just some sitting on a rock going, hmm. you know, Christian meditation is preaching to yourself. Christian meditation is going up out of bed, going for your walk around the block. That's what I do at least. I get up, I preach, I talk to myself. People think I'm crazy, but I don't care. I'm hanging out with God. I preach to myself. I get up of a morning. Listen, soul, I will talk to you. You, know, you, are, you are a child of the king. Are you going to live like that today? You, you're, a, you're, a, you're, a, you're a son of Jesus Christ. Are you living like that today? You, he, he was raised for the dead, and that same power that raised him for the dead is the power that's within you. So you think you've got big problems, but you've basically got God's resurrection power in you. Are you living like that today? Do you do that? Do you preach yourself? <laughs> got to have some bedtime. Get off the lollies negatively positively have some bedtime so as we uh, as we settle into that this morning i think that that's the wrestle for each and every one of us is that ironically at the end of the day even if you've been doing the christian thing for years right wonderfully and i actually think positively uh, we still are not fully satisfied i, I think there will we'll never be fully satisfied until we can enjoy him in all of his glory face to face. That's the reality of the liminal moment that we're in at the moment. You know, St. Teresa of, Viglia, one of one of the great Christians throughout history, it's rumoured that on her deathbed, um, she said, Oh Lord, help my unbelief. What sort of a person talks like that right before they're about to meet God? I think the maturest of all Christians. Because a, a Christian is someone who knows, as C.S. Lewis says, that we need to repent of our small ambitions. There is, there, is, there is never not enough God to go around in our lives and around in this church. And so the deepest wrestle that you and I have is, is what do we do to move into those spaces um, to be with him? And so really, I, I just I speak to two people this morning. I speak to that person this morning that is searching have, have you been Has your soul stomach been aroused by the scent of cod, by the scent of that great meal? You know when you go to Darling Harbour or those sorts of places with all the restaurants and they're, they're pumping the aroma of that Brazilian barbecue out of the top of the restaurant and you just smell it? You know, it's that glorious feeling. For all of you vegetarians, I'm so sorry I didn't have time for another example. But, <laughs> but you know how we... we, we we physiologically react to that. And, and maybe the whole reason that you, that you got yourself out of bed and you got in your car and you drove to a church that's underneath an apartment building and you're sitting here today is because something in the centre of your spiritual nostrils aroused you to something else in the world. You thought there has to be something else to this. First and foremost, take that as a great encouragement that God is at work in your life. But don't stop there. Stay with us long enough that we can help point you to God and point you to that place in which you will be fully satisfied, Christians. For the rest of us, it's one thing for, to follow your nose; it's another thing to sit down at the table. But then it's a whole other thing to chew. <laughs> and and I reckon a lot of us don't chew. I think I think we come to worship and we we get aroused. And look, I speak for myself. We we we. We we smell God, we sniff God in the beauty of the worship that we have together. Um, but in the Monday to the Friday, the Monday to the Saturday between our worship services, how, how much are we chewing? How much are we digesting? Are we? Can we talk like David to say there will be a point in which I am fully satisfied? What have you got to do to get more of that in your life this week? And I think part of the reason why it's so important is because I think that is the one thing that your friends and my friends and your family and my family Want and need from us, right? They don't need arguments around apologetics. They they don't need an exegetical explanation as to whether or not God exists. I didn't even try to argue that this morning, because I, I push you whether you're a Christian or not. You sense that there's something else. They sense there's something else. And I think the greatest thing that you can give them this week is a sense of otherworldliness. Does that flow from you? Because they're singing it. Worlds are turning. And we're just hanging on. This, this is a declaration of most people's lives. Facing our fear and standing out there alone, a yearning, and it's real to me, there must be someone who's feeling for me. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Where's that higher love I keep thinking of? For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au today.